Well, greetings. My name is Jay O'Brien, and I serve as the lead pastor at Scarlet City Church. And uh, this week and next week, we are going to be having a, if anything else, important and very, very relevant and timely conversation. And that is, we're starting a sermon series called The Gospel and Politics. Now, probably for many of you, that can bring about a host of opinions. None of us are neutral when it comes to politics. For some people, you are amped, excited. It's something you think about a lot. It's something you spend a lot of time reading about. And you are, you're thinking it's about time. It's about time we have this conversation. What else have we been preaching on? And you might even be wondering, I hope Jay does this right, because if he says the wrong things, goes in the wrong direction, backs the wrong candidate, then you know you might you might be out. Others of you are, are, are very nervous, uh, very, very cautious, nervous, because discussing politics is rife with conflict and baggage and pain and misunderstanding. And also just the, the perspective of on what level should a church even engage in this kind of conversation. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. You're thinking about politics, most likely. You're probably talking about it with family or trusted friends or neighbors, coworkers. And so if there's any conversation, especially one as just steeped in divisiveness heated rhetoric as politics. If there's any conversation like that, we should be able to have it in our church. And so we're going to go there. We're going to go there. We're going to talk about the gospel and politics this week and next. Now, if you're tuning in and, and you're not a believer, or, or maybe you grew up in the church, but you've been wrestling with your faith, and you're not sure if you believe anymore, um, it might be because of this very issue. And so I want to invite you to, to just engage, listen, uh, judge us, so to speak, and as we look in, what does Jesus say? Now, if you're someone who's passionate about your faith, you're, you're someone who, who um, you think that your faith and Jesus and the gospel are front and center of your life, and you would say, yes, I should, I should have those be the lens through which I view and relate to everything else. I want to invite us to apply those same standards that we apply to our perspective of money or marriage or uh, conflict um, or, or work, we're going to apply those same concepts to how we engage and understand politics. And that is, after all, the real, the real tension. The real tension of what does it look like? And even maybe a better question is, are we able to allow Jesus and the gospel and scripture to shape our view and engagement in politics in our day and age today. And so in order to have this conversation, there's a, number, there's a host of places we could go. We're going to look at Mark chapter 12, which is a record recorded in three of the four Gospels where Jesus is confronted by some religious leaders and two political camps of his day that are seeking to snuff him out. And they put before Jesus a politically defining Question, and Jesus offers a politically redefining platform. And so this week and next week, we're going to look at that exchange. Next week, we're going to look at 
a bit more, and, and really these go together. So if you're tuning in now, I, I really want you to join us again next week. Uh, next week, we're going to look at how Jesus and the gospel really shapes our involvement with government and how we uh, view the issues. This week, I want to set the foundation for that and, and understand in our text three traps that can trip us up as we seek to be Christians and followers of Jesus in understanding politics. And in fact, in our passage today in Mark 12, we, we see them come to Jesus, it says, then they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to what? To trap him. To trap him. They know that anytime you put forth a politically divisive issue, it has the opportunity to trap somebody. And so this week we're going to look at three traps that face the church when it comes to engaging in politics. And the first trap we see is that we need to not be trapped by indifference and minimizing the importance of policy and, and politics. Jesus is, a question is put before him, and Jesus, he knows the issues. Uh, let's look here in verse 14. When they when they came, they said to him, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and do not court anyone's favor. You see, they understand politics. And the political game is about dishonesty and manipulation, getting people to back you. So they're saying, look, Jesus, you're better than that. You rise above politics. Really, they're, in a sense, buttering him up in order to take him down. It says, because you show no partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with the, with the truth. And so here's their question that they're going to trap him with, or they're trying to trap him with. They ask him, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we pay? Now this tax that they're asking Jesus about is just no ordinary tax. This was called a poll tax. And this is, it was just a one denarii, which was the equivalent of about the average person's day's wages. And so this wasn't an exorbitant amount of money. It wasn't the amount of the tax that, that led to this division around whether uh, one should pay it. It was the symbolism that the tax represented. This was instituted, this poll tax was instituted in 6 AD, about 25 years before this moment. And it was a tax that signified uh, paying the Roman Empire for just the privilege of being under Roman rule. It was a way, it was as if you're receiving a good and you're gonna pay for that good. And so this is a tax, one denarii, that everyone paid as a way of saying, thank you, Caesar, thank you. Thank you for ruling over us. Thank you for making us your subjects. Now, if there's anything you know about, about Palestine at this time, it's that they, they loathed being under Roman oppression and rule. They wanted to break free. And so this poll tax represented the ultimate expression of taxation without representation. And so there was this, this uh, rising up against the poll tax that then is put before Jesus today. And here's our, but here's the, the first trap we're looking at. Jesus, he knows the issue. He knows the issue. He understands. He's going to engage in the issue. Jesus doesn't, he doesn't respond by saying, hey, I'm Jesus here. All right? I'm, above, I'm above the politics. Right? 
He doesn't minimize them. He doesn't say, look, why are you asking me these questions? I have better things to worry about. No. He's aware. He's engaged. He understands the issues. I think this is very important for us in the church because sometimes I, I sometimes hear Christians say well-meaning and I understand what they mean in part, but it's, you know, we need to preach the gospel and not preach politics, which what they mean by that is often we need to stay out of the fray of partisanship, which is true, as we'll get to in just a moment, but one of the implications of that can be that it minimizes the importance of policy. And it can minimize the role that government and policy and democracy plays in our lives. I think as Christians who are committed to the flourishing of all people, we should be seeking the peace and prosperity of our city. Because of that, because of that vision, because we believe God has placed us here to be agents of grace and justice and love and mercy, we take policy and therefore politics seriously. And this, this means that, that we put forth the effort to learn about the issues. This means we take the time to, to read about and study and grow an awareness of policy and how it affects everybody. Now, of course, we all have limited capacity and we're not all going to be policy experts on some level. We trust certain sources and, and people. Um, so, you know, we always carry that degree of humility, but I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to think about really engaging on some policy issues that might be close to your heart. There's, it, there's, it's not wrong as Christians to care deeply about these issues. It's not wrong to learn and engage on tax policy that has huge implications, which is what they're dealing with right here. This was a tax policy issue that had implications for people. We should understand and engage and grow an awareness of tax policy. We should be engaged in policy related to the environment and pollution. We should be engaged in policy related to the pregnancy of a woman and and abortion. We should be engaged in policy related to immigrants and refugees and uh, around criminal justice and policing and, and the right to bear arms. These are all very important issues that have effects on, on millions of people's lives. Policy matters. Jesus is aware of the issues. And I want to encourage you to be aware to grow an understanding, to not just give the perspective that was handed to you by maybe the political camp you just most closely align with, but to actually be able to listen to both sides. To grow an awareness of the issues. Christians, Christians, we should not be trapped. We should not fall for the trap of thinking that the gospel means we don't care about politics. But also, and, and, and kind of on the flip side of that, we must avoid the trap of partisanship and division. Jesus knows there's two sides. And Jesus is aware that just like this is not some ordinary tax, these are not ordinary two just random people asking about it. This is the Herodians and the Pharisees. Now the Herodians, as their name implies, these were people who were affiliated with King Herod Agrippa, and he was put in place by Roman authorities to enforce Roman rule and will on the people, and he was he was despised. 
He was despised. And so he had these leaders, these affiliates called the Herodians who sought to reinforce uh, King Herod and thus Roman perspective on these issues. And then you have, it says, the Pharisees. Now the Pharisees, this wasn't, this wasn't a job, this wasn't an occupation. This was actually a political and religious group that were represented the more conservative positions of their time. And even within the Pharisee camp, there were what is called zealots. And zealots were very passionate and committed to political revolution and reform. They wanted to throw out Roman rule. They wanted to get rid of that oppression. In fact, uh, Josephus notes this about the zealots. He says, they agree in all other things with the Pharisaic notions, but they have an inviolable attachment to liberty and say that God is to be their only ruler and Lord. You see that? I mean, we, a reminder that, that political revolution isn't new. This pursuit of liberty and then them attaching that to an understanding of God, to theology. The zealot movement, it really actually began as a result of this poll tax, tax that was instituted in 6 AD as people welled up. They said, enough is enough. We need to get rid of Roman oppression and rule. And there was one leader, Judas of Galilee, who Josephus describes and credits for being, who, uh, for representing this movement. And uh, Josephus says, says he, Judas of Galilee, called his fellow countrymen cowards for being willing to pay tribute to the Romans and for putting up with mortal masters in the place of God. And so here we are with the Pharisees and the zealots that they represent and the Herodians, they come before Jesus asking them this question. These aren't just two random groups of people. These are people who represented two different perspectives and positions about this issue. Now, here's the thing. Jesus, just like he knows the issues, he knows the division. In fact, interestingly, among his disciples were people who represented both of these camps. Jesus, uh, one of his 12 disciples was Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot, this was different than, than Simon Peter. This is Simon the Zealot. As his name implies, he was a zealot. He was committed to revolution, to getting rid of Roman rule, and thus hated this poll tax. And, and the thought of paying it was a deep offense. There's Simon the Zealot in this group. But then also there is Matthew, who was, interestingly, a tax collector. And a tax collector at that time was someone who represented Roman authority, and so they would have been entrusted with taking this tax. Among Jesus' 12 disciples are people representing both of these positions. And this teaches us something that's so profound, and quite possibly, if you don't hear anything else, please hear this. And that is that Jesus, he was a bridge builder. He was a bridge builder. He was able to see through to the partisanship, to see the common humanity of the people he engaged with. Jesus built bridges. He bridged ethnic divides. 
He bridged ethnic divides between Jew and Samaritan. He bridged economic divides between the poor and the rich. He, he bridged moral divides between those who are outcasts morally of society and the self-righteous. And he bridged gender divides. I mean, the first, this is amazing, the first preachers of the resurrection of Jesus were women. They weren't even allowed to testify in the court of law, and that's who God chose to be his first messengers, the first heralds of the good news. Jesus bridges divides, and here he's bridging a political divide. And so the question for us, are you a bridge builder? Am I a bridge builder? Am I, are we people who who create greater distance between political parties? Do we build walls to keep people separated or do we seek to tear them down? Do we seek to build bridges to bring people together, to fight for their common humanity and unity, to fight for what unites us, not just what divides us? Are you and I a bridge builder? Now, look, this just requires us to take a real sober assessment. A real sober assessment of, of ourselves and in our relationships. And so just some que- questions for you. If you're someone who aspires to be a bridge builder, one, are, where do you go for your source of news and information? Do you only watch one cable news channel? Or are you able to listen and watch various news sources? Do you only read one particular flavor of news and and political viewpoint, are you able to read and engage with those from the other side if you identify in one particular way? Who do you go to for your information? Are you willing to listen and hear from the other side? Are you willing to build relationships with people? Or do you just put yourself in an echo chamber where you listen only to the people who already agree with your views and so you're not going to be challenged? And anyone who comes with a different perspective, you just have a name for them. Either they're socialist or they're racist or they're bigoted. You just call them a name, strawman their arguments. Therefore, you can settle in the safety of hating and disagreeing with them and not personally be challenged. If you aspire to be a bridge builder, which I hope you do, we, we should follow Jesus' lead and build bridge builders. That means sometimes we're going to have relationships. Sometimes we're going to work with and be in a group with people who look at it differently. Jesus was a bridge builder. Are we bridge builders? Jesus is springing these traps. The first trap is the trap of indifference. The second trap is the trap of partisanship. And the third trap, and we see it in verse 13 in the text where it says, And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to what? To trap him in his talk. In verse 15, after they asked the question, Jesus responds. I love it. He says, But knowing their what? Their hypocrisy. He said to them, why do you put me to the test? Jesus, he sees this for what it is. You know, interestingly, Jesus, he discerns the polarization trap. He knows that these two opposing political camps are now united on polarizing his influence. I mean, it's so so interesting. Um, They come to Jesus and they're, they're asking him, which side are you on? Okay. 
Are you with the people, the Pharisees, or are you with Rome? And they know, depending, if Jesus puts himself in one of those sides, he's going to be in trouble. If he says, I'm with the people and I'm against Rome, he could be executed. <laughs> he would be viewed as a threat. And that would not be good for him. And if he said, I'm on the side of Rome and I'm against the people, he knew there could be an uprising and jeopardize trust and people wouldn't listen to him. They were trying to polarize his influence. And Jesus, the reason, the way he can discern this is he knows that both of them, both camps, even though they might look at this particular issue differently, their motive is the same. Their motive is power. In verse 13 it said, and they sent to him. And this is referring to Mark 11 verse 27, where after Jesus enters Jerusalem, he cleanses the temples and the local leaders, they're not pleased. The Herodians and the Pharisees, they're upset. Jesus is cramping on their power and their leadership and they, they come together and unite and they seek a way to trap him, they seek a way to polarize him, they seek a way to take him down, and this is what they come up with. And Jesus knows, he says, knowing their hypocrisy. He knows that even though they might be divided on this issue, what they want is the exact same thing, and that is power. They want power. Now, what does, this, what does this mean today when we think about don't fall into the trap of polarization? First, we need to be mindful that both political parties want power. And both of them are prone to view and shade and communicate in ways that, that attack the other in order to elevate themselves. And they both view things through the lens of partisanship that prevents them from really addressing their shortcomings in themselves and their own camp. I mean, a great example of polarization and, and the jeopardizing of trust among a political party is how they view character. I mean, it wasn't long ago when, when Bill Clinton was, was viewed as, as this wrong, evil person who's dragging the country down because of his indiscretions. And, and many conservative Christians were championing that, that statement and that view of the president lying and making these poor choices. And what does that mean for our country? It, was, it took that behavior and it, and it extrapolated it for all people. What does this mean? If the president makes these bad decisions, what does this mean for us? We should care. And yet, many of the same people now with Donald Trump, who has his own moral failings, they're willing to minimize it. And the Democrats do the same. They will maximize the indiscretions of the Republicans and minimize our own. Why? Why do they do that? Because they don't, because in the political game, you don't relate to things purely neutrally. Because it's a vie for power. Both sides use negative ads. Uh, both sides resort to strawmanning other arguments. And here's the deal. We just need to be wise about this. Jesus he sees their hypocrisy. He knows. He, he understands the game. But then also, we need to be mindful that when we closely align with a partisan camp, a political party, our influence will be polarized. When you closely align and, and only share <coughs> excuse me, the perspective of one political camp, you're jeopardizing people's trust in you. 
I mean, think about it. If you follow people on social media, you know those people who always share one particular side. And question for you, do you ever with those people think, wow, I wonder what they have to say? Is anyone's perspective ever really changed by what's shared by real partisan people? No. Because we know that they are full on in one camp and probably don't see things clearly. Their perspective and their influence is polarized. And Jesus knows that even though policy is important, and he wants to bridge the divides. He doesn't want to be polarized. He doesn't want people to put them in one camp so therefore they can write them off and not listen to them. And also, and this is so amazing, and we'll go here more next week, Jesus doesn't want to be identified in one camp so that then everyone in that camp thinks, whew, we're good. Jesus challenges both Sides He offers, as we'll see next week, a politically redefining platform. And so as we close this morning, as we close, we need to be cognizant and wise of the traps. We need to understand the policy and therefore politics is important. We need to be bridge builders. And lastly, we need to be very, very, very cautious to do to Jesus what Jesus doesn't do for himself, and that is equate him with any one political party or platform. The reality is, as we will see next week, and I really want you to tune in, Jesus is going to enter in to both camps, deconstruct them, and offer a whole new way of moving forward. Church, let's be wise this political season. Let's discern the traps. Let's, let's care, build bridges, and not lose our influence by being polarized. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for being a God who sent your son into the world to enter into the mess and who was willing in this amazing exchange to experience the partisanship that politics will inevitably bring. And we thank you, God, for the way he redefined it. And, and whole views of Western civilization government are built on his response right here. So we're so excited to get into it. But may we be just as excited to apply it. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.